Welcome back to another episode of the Golf.com podcast. I'm Sean Zock, joined as always by Dylan DeChair, but he's not in studio. He's on the phone. We're going to dive into a course length discussion on the PGA Tour as the hot button topic of the weekend. And later we'll have an interview with Fox host Shane Bacon. But first, Dylan, why are you calling in and why are you not here in studio? Seeing my family, first and foremost, second most, I'm playing in the main open the next couple days. That's Tuesday and Wednesday. Wow. Um, you know who's playing the main open this year? No. Jim Renner. Remember him? Yeah. <laughs> That's ridiculous. And Dylan DeChair. People's golfer. And Dylan DeChair. Looks like we're going to have about 105 competitors in the old main open. A uh, mix of pros and ams. They haven't announced the first place prize, but I think it's probably going to be somewhere in the 5K department. So, um Almost on par with what we're looking at for the FedEx Cup this week. Who is caddying for you? Uh, I've got nobody currently on the bag. That that hurts. My, That's that. Hurts my mom kind of like threw out the offer yesterday, but <laughs> I'm still sort of reviewing that one. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck, and uh, we'll catch up with you on that. In the meantime, we need to talk about the PGA Tour. Justin Thomas was our winner this week, 25 under at Medina, and for. Another weekend on the PGA Tour, that was not the discussion. The discussion was how Medina played. Adam Scott said it clearly. If a golf course is soft, we are going to tear it apart. They just haven't figured out yet that long means nothing to us. You cannot build it long enough. Justin Thomas said the same. Tiger Woods talked about the driver technology. Does the PGA Tour have a serious issue here, or is it just another thing that we're going to talk about for one week and we'll forget about? Well, look, it's a combination, right? But... I'm leaning towards, yes, this is a serious problem. And it's not so much the number. You know, guys have really been shooting 20, 25 under for a while on the PGA Tour. That's not a brand new thing. But it's just more this brand of golf. Um, And a lot of that has to do with Medina playing so soft. So these guys are just, they're just firing long irons into greens. And the ball just hits and sticks. And, And actually, to be fair, it's normally not long irons. It's normally short irons because they hit the ball so far but birdies stop being remarkable and the way the shots play out it's really really impressive don't get me wrong and it's certainly not easy but it it almost looks too easy it kind of devalues the birdie devalues these great shots um and it's it's a bit more of a boring brand of golf yeah it definitely is and it, I, I mean i was down at pinehurst this past weekend and yeah it, it, a lot of people have been pointing out I'm not the first one to do so. It could not have been more different. Now, granted, these were the greatest amateurs in the world. It's the U.S. amateur playing against some of the greatest pros in the world. But the amount of birdies that were happening at Pinehurst was so low. And these are really, really, really good amateurs because the course is pretty long, but it just plays differently. It's firm. It's fast. It even rained there. And it was it was foggy. Like it wasn't like it wasn't baked out, so to say. If people didn't get a chance to watch any of the USAM this week, if you were dialed in on the PGA Tour, like, were there different style shots being played or were, were shots different coming in when they landed, etc.? Yeah, there's there's next to no spinning the ball back. So it's all trying to carry it to the right place on a green and knowing that if you hit it at a lower trajectory, if you hit a six iron that skips forward, You've only got about 15 feet of skip forward zone before that ball trickles off the back of the green or trickles off the left or the right of the green. It really, really, really puts an emphasis on ball striking, hitting the ball to a target and not a target that is fixed. Like this target kind of changes with the wind and you have to hit the front of the green to get to the back of the green. Stuff like that is so much more skillful. And that's what is really lacking at a place like Medina. And I, I guess when I think about it this way, all other sports tend to change. You know, when when the players or the technology like substantially changes how a sport is played, golf just needs to kind of do the same. Like if if all pitchers could throw 102 miles an hour, I think the MLB would probably consider moving the pitching mound back a foot or six inches or or yeah. six feet. I think if are they considering that? By the way, Maybe they should. <laughs> they might be. All I'm saying is that. Medina played differently than it did 30 years ago. Pebble Beach plays differently than it did 30 years ago. TPC Scottsdale, the same exact thing. With enhancements in technology that we've seen in the last 20 years, the game is played differently, and it's easier. It's not as intricate. It's not as complex. It's not as captivating. And so 
I think the game needs to realize that. Like the the stewards of the game need to realize that maybe professionals play a different game than everybody else, and we need to make movements on that. Yeah, one of the interesting things that Adam Scott said, and uh, you know, he's not the first one to say this certainly, but just talking about how the driver has in some ways become the most forgiving club in the bag. Um, not for me. Because, well, not for you, but you do see players like yourself have this inclination of like, oh, I should be safe. I should hit three iron off the tee. But I think for a lot of pros and, you know, even a lot of amateurs, if you're teeing it up on number one, if you pull out a driver, you at least know you're going to make contact and that ball is going to go away. And the pro equivalent of that is, look, if you pull out driver, you have a sense, you're dialed in enough that if you pull a driver and rip one down a hole where there's no like grave trouble, you're going to have a short iron or a wedge left. And is it a problem if you're in the rough? It's not a huge problem because you're so close to the green. So these, these drivers, that's one suggestion that's been posed is essentially just roll back the drivers and Hey, you know, if you're on tour, you can only hit three woods. Uh, I think that that's kind of a compelling one. If you're not going to, roll back the ball. It's funny that rolling back the ball seems so off the table. Um, <laughs> but that, I'm not that, sure that, that, that has that is to like, be the case. Yeah, no, I agree. That has to be the easiest hurdle to, to clear, I think, is bifurcation of the golf ball, a tour or professional golf ball, and then an amateur one for myself to play. But what is it actually going to take for bifurcation to happen? It's it's just like agreeance from the USGA and the RNA and Augusta national. And it just, it feels like these, these governing bodies are at like little corners of a Pentagon and they will not come to the center. Like they're all here for the same reason, but they all will not meet in the middle on a thing that defines the pro game. There's this thing called the rollback Alliance. Have you heard about this? Yeah, I just saw it a little bit. <laughs> I didn't realize what it was until this weekend. But there's like a there's a group of people trying to get signatures, to get emails, to get the idea of rolling back the golf ball to, you know, to broach it like, kind of like a petition. It, it's brilliant, but, you know, it's just kind of started. Yeah, well, it's funny seeing just this slow, steady creep. You know, if this all happened just completely overnight, if there was a sudden, you know, 50 yard increase in the distance that guys were hitting the ball, then it would be, you know, much easier. But it's this sort of climate change-esque creep that has just happened a few yards at a time in a few different ways. And it's not just the ball, but it's track man, it's guys working out, it's guys being more aware. Um, and it just makes it so that, you know, is it a problem? Yes. And everyone pretty much is in agreement of that. But because it's just happening steadily over time, there needs to be some breaking point where we say, all right, enough is enough. And this is as much as I can remember the players ever really standing up and speaking out is, well, yeah. is this weekend. Yeah, and they should. They need to continue doing this. And this is just another example because the PGA Tour announced in the wake of a lot of players being upset about pace of play that they're going to review pace of play like anytime the tours band the tour players band together and say we're upset about this thing that's when the tour and these governing bodies tend to actually get involved so with that in mind we need to move on to pace of play because this morning monday morning the european tour announced a four-part plan to quote tackle pace of play and i love that they used that word tackle like it was uh you know a running bag running down the sideline but the four parts are regulation, education, innovation, and field sizes. This is great. This is a very, very good thing because once again, the European tour is kind of pulling the PGA tour along. It's, it always feels like the European tour is like in the RNA is like, you know, a month or two ahead. They, they apparently agreed to this plan, the, the tour committee, the tournament committee uh, in July. So a month ago, and then they used this month to kind of like, hone everything in to, to, to take note of a couple other tournaments and see how this is actually going to work. But it's a wildly misunderstood issue. We discussed it last week. There are so many things that impact pace of play. It's different for the tour compared to you and me. Are you surprised that it is that it happened so quickly? I kind of like the idea that the European tour, you know, had this plan in the works and then they just headed over to the Northern trust and like just planted some seeds of discontent to, <laughs> to make this feel even better. Like, you know, they slip Bryson a few bucks to just slow down extra. 
I don't know. I mean, when it when compared with the ball going too far, the game being too easy, the golf course is getting overpowered, slow play just starts to seem like such an easier problem to tackle. It, it's yeah. such a such a less existential threat to things um, because you can you can fix it. You know, it's it's easily fixable. The European Tour, you know, reading through it, it doesn't sound like their changes are actually that dramatic, but they seem like just by tackling it, quote unquote, they are making progress. They're taking it seriously, which the PGA Tour, beyond saying that they're going to review it, you know, really has not done. They have not no. taken it seriously to this point. So, yeah, I think it's an obvious win. And it's it's really funny timing for the European Tour, too, because they're not doing great in terms of, you know, retaining the top players, the PGA Tour is becoming such a worldwide tour. But in in terms of, you know, leading the game forward, the European Tour is just running circles around the PGA Tour. Yeah, well, so let's lay it out, right? So the same kind of rules uh, regarding pace of play, if you get, if you're the first player to get to, to play your second shot, you have, or your first shot, you have 50 seconds to play. Everyone else in your group has 40 seconds to play. Now, if, if, if you miss that time or you are out of position, that happens once. The minute it happens a second time, then you get a penalty. So penalty strokes seem to be – there seems to be a line drawn in the sand. That's very important. If you get, if you get timed a bunch of times over the season, your fines go up uh, about threefold. Players are going to be going through rules training to become a member of the European Tour. Every three years, if you are a member, you have to go through online rules training again because, as you know, that's a huge thing. So many times players just kind of default to the rules official. The rules official comes in and you waste five minutes over something that they are supposed to know. Um, Every single group on every hole will be recorded for their timing at Wentworth, the BMW PGA, in a couple weeks. That's gigantic. And also the European Tour says, hey, we're going to we're going to implement this at one of our flagship events. You will have so many more people paying attention to that event than there were going to be a week ago because of this. And lastly, 8% fewer players in fields. You go from 156 to 144, you're just creating fewer players, more room, faster pace of play. That's the implication. What I think yeah. is that this could blow up. Like I, I am very ready for the quote unquote D day of pace of play in which three players get timed twice and have bad times on the same day at Wentworth and you have three penalty shots and those guys in, in, in reality lose out on as much as, you know, $20,000 because of how they finish because of those penalty shots. I'm ready for it because we've been talking about it literally for decades. This has been mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going on as long as the BJ tour has has had pace of play as a thought with many players, you know, with 150 people in a field. Like, this is finally happening. Look, that D-Day, I think that enough players at this point have said, look, I'll be the one. You know, Kepka has said it. Bryson has said it. A bunch of guys have said, hey, if I violate this rule, you can penalize me. You know, plenty of these guys are getting fined, but they just don't care. Yeah. Um, we'll see in practice if guys actually are upset about it or are more upset about it. I threw this out last week, but still stand by it. I don't mind even extending that window instead of, you know, 40 or 50 seconds. Make that a minute. Make that a minute 10. Just so guys really, really flagrantly violate, you know, the spirit of the game and the spirit of fast play, then you get penalized and, and it's easy to do so. But it, it's important to say that this 40 and 50 second thing that's only if you're already out of position that's only if you're being monitored perhaps most importantly too though is that there is in position timing where you actually get 85 seconds if you are first to the ball and you're in position and you have 70 seconds so players are still going to be timed wherever they are which will really just kind of nurture like even if you are in position if you are a group ahead of a slow group you're going to keep pushing like you're going to keep pushing the pace so basically you can hope that a tournament will maybe cut off 10 to 15 minutes from rounds. Um, will that happen? We'll have to see. You have to watch the BMW PGA Championship at Wentworth. Uh, moving on to something a little more fun. We had, I thought, a full week worth of very questionable public statements made out uh, by PGA Tour players, um, four of which stand out to me. The first being Brooks Kepka, 
firing back on Twitter. Brooks, not a big social media guy, really loves giving love to his sponsors on social media. Doesn't really sound off at anybody but Brandel Chambly. But during a randelay, Brooks went on Twitter and saw that someone was tweeting at him to go drive a truck. And so he responded with Brinks truck question mark, which is amazing. Uh, what what did you make of, of Brooks finally chirping back at someone besides Brando? Well, there's a couple different layers to this because first of all, there's the uh, the guy that he's going afterwards is the classic, you know, you're on my fantasy team. I want you to do better guy who just, you know, plagues athletes in every sport. So I love the idea of going and shutting this guy down. Um, I do think it's it's reinforcing Brooks's brand, which is kind of like, it's just kind of like jerk is <laughs> a little bit like that's kind of his thing now is yeah, jock jerk just being a jock jerk in kind of a funny way um but he's certainly in position to do that i mean the results speak for themselves this was definitely funny that leads us into bryson who had a hell of a week last week trying to to talk about pace of play and then he came out on snapchat he said screw the haters he dropped a couple of bombs bryson here I'm Dom Snapchat. Y'all want to say whatever you want. That's okay. But you know what? I'm out here doing the right thing. Having a great time with the Pro-Am guys. Killing it. And honestly, we're on these guys' asses all the time. Last week I played under time par. This week, do the same thing. Never on the clock last week. Y'all can say whatever you want, but we're having an awesome time. So screw all y'all haters. No big deal. I still love y'all, even though you hate me. I felt like Bryson was trying to be Brooks. He's trying to be that bad boy. That's kind of a Brooks move, being a jock jerk and saying, you know what? I don't need you guys. But the difference being is that uh, Brooks Kepka wins majors and Bryson barely shows up at majors. Well, and the other big difference being Bryson is, is trying to have it both ways, right? He's sort of talking out of both sides of his mouth. He's saying, oh, look, you know, I'm really not the problem. You know, I'm, I want to be a part of the solution. I want to sit down with the PGA Tour, figure this out. You know, really, it's the caddies and it's walking slow and it's all these different things. And then he sort of comes out and is basically like, look, I actually I'm not the problem at all. I don't really care about this. You know, you guys can deal with it. Not a good week for Bryson. Not a good week if, if you are someone that annoys a lot of the, the populace, if you are polarizing and, and you know you annoy a lot of golf fans. Yeah. Uh, he, he didn't do himself any favors. And I've been a, I've been a Bryson defender too, I think. But, you know, this latest video kind of sent me to the other side of this issue. Wow. Good for you. Uh, also on Twitter, Phil Mickelson, no longer tweeting out, you know, commercials of him dancing or, you know, fireside Phil chats. He was replying to people on Twitter, replying to everyone. He had a day. He chirped at Luke Donald, he dunked on our friend from Golf Channel, Will Gray. He replied to random people. Uh, we need more of this, right? <laughs> we need this every single month. He's had his Twitter account for a year, and finally he went into his mentions. No one has gone from being so awful at posting to so good like Phil has. Because you remember how excruciating those original Tiger Phil, you know, manufactured smack talk tweet? There's nothing worse. Oh, they were so bad. And uh, now Phil is just a fantastic poster. There's a bit of a dark side to this where, you know, he's just playing so poorly. He's, he's been pretty <laughs> bad for a while. Uh, he's missed a bunch of cuts. He, you know, he would have missed the cut this week if there was one. Um, and he's, he talked yesterday after his round about being tired, about being mentally and physically kind of out of it. But, God, yeah, this fire thing was hilarious. He, he's consistently hilarious. Twitter is the perfect medium for him. I was I was thinking to myself on Saturday when he's doing this, do I need to set up like text message alerts for every tweet that Phil Mickelson <laughs> said? Because I know a lot of people in, in the golf industry might have that for Tiger because you never know when he's mm-hmm. going to announce something important. But at this point, I need to have a text message every time Phil tweets. Speaking of Tiger, uh, lastly, he thought that he could still qualify middle of the BMW championship for the president's cup. He thought he could Mm -hmm. qualify on points. He was like 14th or 15th in the standings. He has, he's played like 10 or 11 events this year, but he still thought as the captain. Yeah. If I play well enough, I can still qualify for this team. Not a great look when that is not the case. It was actually impossible for him to do so. 
Yeah, not a great look. I, I can't get really worked up about this one, though. I mean, because you love Tiger. If you're even if you're the president, you know, you're the uh, captain of the President's Cup team, you know, not understanding the complete ramifications of your finish when you're 12th or 13th or whatever he was, not a huge deal in my book. I think it is. <laughs> He's supposed to know who's going to be on this team. He's supposed to know what that what it means when Ches Reevy goes out there and finishes in the top 10 at the Greenbrier in a month or in a couple of weeks. Like th- this is this matters to Tiger. It should. Or he's not taking the captainship as seriously as we hoped. Eh, I don't know about that. I feel <laughs> like he's taking it plenty seriously. He talks, you know, talks about it a ton. It's not even a real position to begin with. Captainship and vice captainship in uh, team golf is probably the most overstated, overrated thing maybe in all of sports. Um, so I don't know. You can't get me worked up about this one. But the President's Cup picks those are really fun because you get to rate people rank people and the way that's going to play out over the next couple months of this silly season action will be really entertaining all right well speaking of silly season before we get to shane bacon we have to talk about the tour championship the tour goes to east lake there are 30 people qualified and we might find some chaos because it is the new season uh, a new format this year in which justin thomas who is leading the fedex cup will start the tournament at 10 under par. He'll have a two-shot lead on the entire field, and he'll have a 10-shot lead on guys like Lucas Glover and Jason Kokrak, which is very, very weird. I am stoked for this. We've been waiting a, we have been waiting a year for this stuff. We've talked about all the ridiculous scenarios that could play out. I wish Tiger was playing. I wish he had snuck into the field because that would have made this thing gone from just you know a, a backyard fire pit to something that could be nuclear but basically jt has played zero holes and he's already a favorite more than he has ever been in his entire career i'm ready for the chaos i mean chaos is the perfect word for this because it is such madness this is something where i think if the european tour had done it instead of the pga tour we would be more ready to <laughs> jump on board um i'm not sure, sure. it's the perfect system but God, it's going to be really fun. As long as JT doesn't go and boat race the entire field, then every other scenario is super fun. I I don't really know, though, because if if Bryson DeChambeau has the best week of his life and he can't eke out a tour win from it, because whoever wins the, the tour championship is getting a tour victory. Justin Thomas has 10 wins and a major, and people are talking about him having one of the greatest starts in a, in a tour career, he's probably going to have 11 wins in a week. Like there's a pretty decent chance that that happens. He should like, we're, we're creating advantages for things that matter. World ranking points included. Like that's where I have to draw the line. That's where it's not good. Uh, yeah, no, that part is definitely extremely weird. There's lots of weirdness associated with this. I even was, you know, just scrolling through Twitter this morning and seeing, there's these really strange implications for, you know, people on daily fantasy sites of, okay, how do you price each guy and how do you, how does Vegas weigh the odds of someone that's starting 10 strokes behind? Yeah. You know, it's, it's like we're almost already in the middle of a tournament. But I think that the way to look at it is that these three playoff events were sort of the lead into this. And, and so this is just a, a natural extension of those. It's not perfect, but it's fun, and I think that there's a lot to be said for that because just the the money alone does nothing for me. Uh, the 30th what? place guy is still going to get 400k this week. The money doesn't the do anything gets for 15 you. 15 mil. 15 million dollars doesn't do enough for you. Like the different. Like let's say Justin Thomas has an average week. He gains one and a half strokes on the field each round, so he would be eight under. But now he's 18 under, and Brooks Kepka or not even Brooks, someone else who really needs the money is three shots behind going into the back nine. And if he makes up those three shots and even one more, he's going to earn an extra $10 million on top of Justin Thomas. $10 million. Yeah. All right. Let me clarify my position because it's not that the money doesn't do anything for me, but it's more <laughs> like the idea that these guys can completely reverse their current positions is much more entertaining. So 
in the old system, if you went into the final event in first, you were locked into a, you know, top four or five payday. Yeah. Pretty much guaranteed. Now, look, if JT goes out and, you know, gets the shanks or something, if he just has a really <laughs> weird week, he's going to drop like crazy. Um, and whoever Fair. takes over could come from six, eight shots back. You you could see Ches Reeve, who hasn't really done anything in a while since winning the Travelers. You could see him make a crazy charge up the leaderboard, and who knows? I mean, it's just max chaos, and that is awesome because, you know, it is a little bit play money to all these guys at this yeah. point that are, that are in this field. So why not make it even crazier? Play money. They should throw some money, some play money our way. That's what I think. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, that's that's good enough for you and me. Let's go to an interview that I did with Shane Bacon last week down at Pinehurst overlooking the first tee on course number two. Um, you'll probably hear a little bit of background noise because it was a hot muggy day. There was a garbage truck moving by. But other than that, appreciate Shane Bacon. He has some great, great thoughts on just like the, the Fox broadcast, what they've tried to do throughout the years, the amateur itself, Pinehurst. And actually, you need to stay to the end because he shares a couple of phenomenal stories from his summer caddying at St. Andrews at the old course. Just some wild stuff there. So here's Shane Bacon. Shane Bacon is our guest today down here at Pinehurst. He's a host for Fox Sports. A little bit of football, a lot of golf. He has a podcast of his own called The Clubhouse. He has, uh, he's caddied at St. Andrews. He's tried his hand at the mini tours. He has never made a hole in one like our good friend Alan Shipnuck. <laughs> You're going to, right? You're going to at uh, some point. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, you, you, you step up. It's funny. I step up on par threes now, <laughs> and I just wish that there was a way I could, like, compute what's going on in my brain yeah. on paper because no. even today I, I, I played this morning. We played Tobacco Road. It was uh, Brad Fax and Brett Quigley, our boss, Mark Loomis, yeah. and I played it. And, you know, a couple par threes. I mean, there's I think there's six par threes out there. Oh, my gosh. And they're <laughs> crazy par threes. And, you know, you're hitting these little wedges or you're hitting these little chop-off ones. And you hit one that's kind of going at it when it's in the air, and you're like, maybe this is it, and then it's 20 feet short. And you're like, maybe just never. Maybe never. it's just going to be a never. So what happens if never? Because you got this whole charity oh, thing. Oh, yeah, going. I got a charity jar. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe at one point when I'm just like, like if I'm like 75 <laughs> and just fed up with it and the just, charity jar is like 20 grand, <laughs> I'll just go to the Phoenix Children's Hospital uh, and be like, here you go. Just so this. people can donate to that just via Venmo. Yeah, Venmo I mean, I've, had, I've had random people. Um, you sent some yeah. money. Uh, thank you, by the way. Um, <laughs> I've had some friends send, uh, send some dough. Max Homa, who's become a pal of mine. His, I, I believe his rule is if I make a one, he'll give me a thousand. If he's with me when I make a one, he'll do five thousand. Let's go. That's what he was you saying. You need to start playing a lot of golf. Well, with him. it's funny. I played last time we played, I hit one. It was on at Phoenix Country Club. I think it was on eight. And we were playing. It was right after he won the Wells Fargo. And I, it was like flag right at it. Oh, my God. And he's in the air and he's like, I got the money now. <laughs> yeah, I've made it enough was money. Five feet short. And I was like, ah. Would have been nice. What's the closest you've ever come? Oh, I mean, I flew one in before. Uh, I mean, no I've way. had them land, you know, right on the front or right on the back. We have an annual guys trip down to Tubac, Arizona, the Tubac Golf Resort. It's where okay. they filmed a lot of Tin Cup at. Okay. It's about a two-hour drive from Phoenix. And, a, I mean, 16 guys went last year. We go, like, really early January. Oh well, I had God. two of my best friends from Texas fly out. They flew out the day before we started, and we played Phoenix Country Club, where I, where I play out yeah. of. And I hit one on – Oh my god! On twelve, and it landed. It was—I mean, it was about a, a centimeter short of just flying in the hole. And I was thinking—I didn't know if that would have been a great start to the trip or an awful start to the trip because it's already a little bit of a of yeah. a dirty trip. I yeah. mean, we yeah. we got on there and play golf and get after it. So it's I was—I was a little bit nervous if that would have gone, and that might have been pretty expensive. Yeah, I think uh, I think we do have to clear up one thing between you and I. The one elephant in the room is that Wisconsin basketball has. Broken your heart a couple times oh, in the past ten years. You're a big Twi Arizona twice Hoops in guy. a row, <laughs> and I was at one of the games. Really, I was at the Staples Center. I remember that was the year that I thought we had a really good chance. So that was the year you guys made the championship game and then yeah. lost, correct? And you mm -hmm. guys lose in the championship game to who? To Duke. To Duke. And y'all were really good. Yeah. I mean, that was the team that I, I didn't think there was a chance you guys were going to lose. I didn't think Duke would beat y'all. And but I really liked our team. I mean, we had McConnell was the point guard, and we just had. 
you know, we, we had so many guys that could play, and we had a good bench, which is something we're, we've never – we don't normally have seven, yeah. eight guys we go deep with. We were up at half. I was with some buddies. We went up his, his, his fiance at the time, now his wife, had some sweet seats, and you could go up there and, like, Ooh. have a beer or two. Yeah, yeah. I remember we went up there and had a beer, came back down, and Deckard already hit, like, three threes in the second half. Uh, and I was like, this could get pretty bad, and then I, he just didn't miss. So that's important that you could actually go to the suite and have a beer because I don't think – I was actually at the – Sweet 16 games at Staples Center. So I watched Arizona beat Xavier and Wisconsin beat North Carolina. I was with a bunch of buddies, and we went out there. We went there super early. We're going to get a bunch of beers, and we got in at no beers nope. in the Staples Center no, for that game. That's unfortunate. I think that collegiate rule is, <laughs> is at least going to the wayside. But, yeah, that was uh, – yeah, it was, it's been – you know, I, I'm the first graduating class from Arizona, 06, is the first class that as a freshman through – we never saw a Final Four, and we still haven't wow. seen a Final Four. The year before, they made the championship game and lost to Duke. Shocking, this Damn. is the theme. And <laughs> since then, we were the number one team in the country when I was a freshman. We yeah. lost in the Elite Eight. Again, another theme that's going through. That was the yeah. Heinrich Collison, that ridiculous team at Kansas. Uh -huh. We lost that Elite Eight game. We were the one seed. I believe they were the two seed. But, yeah, it's just kind of been yeah. – the Elite Eight has, has been our bugaboo, and it just seems like every single time we get there, it's close. But Wisconsin, God, you guys were so <laughs> annoying. They were so good. And the problem with Wisconsin was it was like one of those teams that were such a fun college basketball yeah, team to root to for. for them. And I had to root against them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you look back on it, and you're like, I mean, this, this team shouldn't be great, but it's like a great college team. Yes, and they, exactly. were, uh, they were well put together. But one of these days, one of these days one we might the get there. We'll see. So, I mean, you're clearly – you've got some hoop knowledge, and that'll happen when you go to Arizona. But recently you said, on Twitter at least, that you were hoping to take up your own hoops game a little bit. Is that true? Well, are, you, are you playing pickup at all? Well, so I, I said that, and, I mean, Van Pelt said don't do it. <laughs> oh, no. Terry Gannon said don't do it. I would say – who else? Buchagross responded. He was like, it's a bad it's idea. Not worth it. There was like eight broadcasters <laughs> that I respect, and they were all like, this is an awful, awful decision. <laughs> and after that, I was like, no, no I'm not going to do it. Never mind. I'm, I'm going to fade away. And then, Dang, I was and, really uh, hoping for you. Oh uh, Yeah, I was, I was thinking about going back at it. You know, I, I never hurt myself playing basketball. I used to play pickup like four or five times a week. I never, ever hurt myself. And I just had one of those runs where I had a, a rolled ankle, rolled ankle, and then I broke a bone in my foot. And it was like back to back to back. And I would just get healed up and I'd be good to go. And after I wrote that on Twitter and had all those people come at me and say it's a bad idea at 35 years of age, I said, you know what, I, I might just go play, uh, you know, just go shoot with it's buddies and stuff it. like that. It's yeah, sad. It's, it's really it sad. It really is. It's crazy when you, you get to that point in your life where, I mean, I, we would play so much. I mean, you know, we'd play pickup. <laughs> When I was like in my mid twenties, all the time, it would be four p.m. at the LA Fitness in Scottsdale, and there'd be twenty, twenty-five guys that would yeah. eventually show up, and you'd run. And I mean, if you were on a team that won games, you'd play seven or eight games. Yeah, you'd be gassed after, but it was so much great fun. Great workout, though. Great That's workout. That's a better workout than a lot of people just go run up and down the river. I but know, I know. Um, all right, so we got the hoops out of the way. Let's let's bring up some golf. Um, you have one of the best voices in golf. I'm sure people will appreciate you coming on to the podcast. That's why you have your own podcast. Great voice. I recently lost my voice at my brother's wedding. I had a podcast a couple of days later. Made me think, guys like Shan Bacon can't afford to lose their voice. Right. Do you get freaked out at sore throats? Do you get worried about going and partying your pants off? Uh, yeah, I mean... Have you, you know, ever come close to No, like, I, I mean, luckily, I've never, I mean, sadly, I've never even thought about it. Now I'll be thinking about it all the time. Thanks a lot. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's it's a great question. I've, I've, uh, I've never, you know, I mean, you you... It's funny, as you said, I mean, you know, you've got to get sleep and, you yeah. know, you drink. You've got to, like, you know, one thing that I would do for a long time was, like, maybe have, like, a Diet Coke or something in the booth. And actually, okay. Joe Buck's a big tea guy, and he'll even do, like, hot water as kind of something to drink while he's doing the broadcasting. So you pick up on, like, little things like that okay. as cues from other people. But, I mean, at this so point, I don't do anything. I, no... I, do, I, do a lot, I do a lot of water. You know, right now, the, the issue is, <laughs> is, as you know, our USGA events, we don't have commercials. You, you know, keep talking. So there, I mean, we <laughs> literally don't get a break. I mean, the breaks we'll get is we might run a feature and we might get two minutes, but you know, like the amateurs have been three hours. These broadcasts have been three hours. Whoa. You know, we've done five hours straight. Yeah. Curtis cup was five hours last year. That's no commercials. So you can't drink a whole bunch because you really can't run to the restroom, especially yeah. in my role. I mean, if, <laughs> if we have, if we have Julie and Brad, yeah. if one of them go, it's not a big deal. And if Brad's there, he can, he can pick up my slack. I mean, he does virtually the same thing I do, you know, half the time throughout the year in the sense of, you know, holes and, and, and hole announcing, but 
yeah, it's it's funny. You drink a lot of water, a whole bunch of water, but you try not to drink too much. So it's yeah. a, it's a really funny balance, yeah. you know. This this USJ schedule throughout the summer, it's it's a bit of a gauntlet. It is, and uh, this is the last one for the summer. What is the gauntlet like? Like you go from one course to the next course, to the next course. Like how do you how do you prep in between? Like last week, the US Women's Am, right? You were at Old Waverly. And you got to turn things around and come to Pinehurst with 312 new names. Right. Well, so, you know, we only start the broadcast in the round of 64. So we start a match play. The hard thing about that is, well, the good thing is you don't have to obviously know every yeah. player that was in the field. The hard thing about that is you don't know which 64 it is literally until the night before. Uh, our, I have, a, I have, a, I have a, a young man. He does stats for me. His name's PJ Malik. On Tuesday night into Wednesday with kind of the weather here, he didn't sleep. He said he got like two hours of sleep because oh, he boy. makes these cards for me. And, you know, we get information sent out. And then when you look through the first day, you see which player, you know, I mean, like a Brandon Wu, for instance, you, you figured he would probably get through considering the way he'd been playing. He shoots 65 the first day, dig a little into him at that point. There's some other names that played well. And, you know, what the cool thing is, while it, it is very tough to have knowledge of these players right away, when you do these USGA events, you know, throughout the last few years like we've done, a lot of these players you know. I mean, you thought could talk about somebody like Michael Thor Bjornsson, right? You know, he wins the junior against Matthew Wolf. Or sorry, he wins the junior the year after Matthew Wolf nearly wins the junior. And we'd follow him throughout. So, you know, he plays well in this event or if he plays well in anything, gets in the Walker Cup, for instance, maybe when we have it in a couple of years at Seminole. You know, we have followed him and we kind of know his path. We know some stuff about him. And it's a little bit of that. It's a little bit of like local knowledge from the history of doing these amateur events. And what's neat is, as you know, with how, where golf is going – these amateur players are professionals quickly. I mean, you wrote a great piece on, on golf.com this week about the pressures these players face turning pro. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it was, uh, was a Celinda, yeah. Isaiah Celinda you talked yeah. to, and he said, you know, I have confidence going in because I know I can beat these guys because I did when they were in college. It is a quick turnaround for the, for the, for the amateur player now. And so, you know, that, that's, it is Wednesdays of the amateurs are the hardest two days we do all year. The women's amateur and then the men's amateur, it is all over the place. There's all these players out there. You're bouncing between matches. You don't have a whole bunch of time to get any, you know, facts out, things like that. So the time you do them is a little bit later in the match. And once our cameras are following a match and it's a good one, you know, you might be a little focused on that. But it's, it's a lot of reading, you know, the night before. There's a lot going on. Uh, I've said in the past that I think Fox has become – the best, if not one of the best, broadcasts in golf. And that's a, that was a very tricky thing. Uh, Fox has now been doing USGA events for, I think this is the fourth year. Fifth year. Fifth year? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Chambers was the first Chamber, year. Okay, yes. Yeah. So five years of, of Fox doing golf. There's plenty of reasons why I think Fox is the best. Some people agree with them, some people don't. But when we put that out on social media, it was alarming to me how many people thought that I was a crazy man. And I think that really boils down to just how traditional the game can be and how like rooted in history the game is and how like people who just didn't want anything new, people hate new things. Has it been weird to try and like run up that hill every single year, like to try to, it's an uphill battle and to try to like battle against it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, like the, the first year in 2015, you know, at Chambers Bay, I was a part of the digital broadcast team. I did featured holes with Robert Dameron. And I was just pumped to be a part of it. I mean, I was, you know, I mean, Mark Loomis and I played golf at his golf course, and that was kind of my job interview, and I got the gig. And then I slowly made my way up, you know, into kind of the, the broadcast team. And, you know, the last couple of years being a part of the hosting, you know, priorities of the U.S. Open. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been an uphill battle. I think that, you know, last year we really felt like we were where we wanted to be. I mean, you know, Curtis was had been in there for a year and a half. Paul Azinger, of course, had joined the team, and it started to get, you know, it started to feel way more comfortable with the group of people we had. And I, I believe even last year, what we were putting out there could rival anything people were doing. And, I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, you know, people think it's this big competition. Yeah. We're trying to get to where these broadcast sure. teams are. You know, we want to get, we want to be talked about, like, to your point with your article you wrote, which was great, and it was super nice for you to say that. We want to be, you know, in the same breath as, as Dan Hicks and Paul Azinger or Jim Nance, you know, and, and, and Nick Faldo because they do it all the time and they do a great job with it. And if we can get to that level, then we're doing what we need to do. The one thing we battle, of course, is, you know, casual golf fans see us once a year. Exactly. You know, they see us at the U.S. Open. 
you know, then you got to go to a casual, you know, women's golf fan might see us at the women's open. Maybe they watch the U.S. Open. You know, maybe they watch the senior. This event, the U.S. Amateur, I feel like is one where we're actually getting more and more exposure because people are focused a little bit more on the amateur game. And I think it goes back to the point of professionals, you know, amateurs turn around professionally so quick right now. This is a glimpse into what it's going to be like on the PGA Tour in the next two or three years when you look at some yeah, of these guys. Exactly. It was like that last year. When you think about Victor Hovland. Yeah, isn't you know, he, that wins, he, he, wins, he wins the amateur, and he's, you know, tied for the lead in the Corn Ferry event this week at the same time trying to win his first event. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to try to change broadcasting golf, if you will, you know Mark Loomis. That needs to happen, like, it, right? That is I, that is how business works. Absolutely, competition I mean, it's, it's, it, changes it, things, it, and it, it, it improves other people. You think about Shot Tracer. You know, the first year we had Shot Tracer all over the place, and now it is a part of golf broadcasting everywhere. Yeah. And so, you know, it's it's things like that, trying stuff out, doing some different things, figuring out how to show putts. I mean, that's I feel like's been a very hard thing for technology to show is. How do you show a putt breaking? How does it make sense to the viewer? Yeah, that's one. Con uh, it's not controversial, but it's one thing that people aren't used to. They see the the two lines that diverge, and then they come back to each other at at, at the hole. And sometimes, you know, a putt slips outside of that, and it still travels in because those lines are not necessarily created day of, and the greens are rolled day of. Right. So, like, these are the battles that are super visual but aren't contextually explained to the viewer at all times and it's just you can't please everyone there's a there's something to that yeah <laughs> let the trash truck roll by <laughs> you know we do the u.s open and it's a huge week for us and we're on a lot and we get to go to these unbelievable golf courses and showcase you know the jordan Spieth and the brooks kepkas and the tigers and all those players i think some of the most fun weeks we have or when we get to do the junior am and the yeah. girls junior and the senior women's you know we're on for two hours or three hours but it's on us to explain a quote-unquote tour that people aren't going to see in any other time of the year i mean mm -hmm. if you think about senior women's open you know getting a chance to be a part of the first one last year at chicago golf and then this year right up the street you know at pine needles i mean these are events where we're showing legends of the game that you don't see on tv anymore battling it out i mean our own julie Inkster's in the hunt a couple of years in a row and there is more than just the pga tour and, and i think that's what's so much fun because i am a fan of golf you know i'm a fan of of watching good golf watching competitive golf and those match play events we do i mean they are as you said they're in random areas of the world a lot of the time <laughs> they're on golf courses that maybe you've never seen on tv but you get some unbelievable golf you get some unbelievable clutch play we've had that this year in spades I mean that women's amateur last year last week was unreal as it was as good a competition as we've ever done in terms of the matches we got the play we saw the finish we had birdie birdie to finish for Gabby Ruffles it was it was exactly what you'd want to have in a broadcast and you know we got a chance to do that all right so if you have been to the junior and the senior and the women's senior and the women's am and, the, and now the men's am like i said there is more than the pga tour who is if you had to choose one golfer from all of the many golfers you've seen this year who is the person that the golf world has underrated is not paying enough attention to it could be a senior it could be a junior well you know i think i think what alexa pano has done as a 14 year old you know she's 14 years old I think this was her 11th USGA event she's played in. <laughs> she's been close to Jeez. winning these events. You know, she lost in the girls junior at Poppy Hills last year in the championship match as a 13-year-old. She's 5'11", maybe yeah. six foot tall. Mm -hmm. she, she's is a future, right? She's the future of the LPGA, and, and you talk to her and the schedule that her and her family put out, and it is a professional schedule. I mean, they – have a goal in mind i mean their goal is to be a dominant player on the lpga tour and this is in three years or four years not 10 years from now so i would say you know i mean i think she gets she gets press as she should and she is again 14 years old and knows how good she is as she should but that's a player i think when we get to these events and her name's always floating around we continue to shake our heads and we, we can't believe she's still this young you know it's like we talk about college basketball you know those players on college basketball teams that you feel like have been on the team for 12 years yeah and you're like there's they're a senior this yeah. is unbelievable yeah. i feel like that with alexa where you're like you expect her to be 18 you know you expect her to be either going to college or, or turning professional but i feel like she's going to be the player of this of this generation that can yeah. really separate herself mm -hmm. you know male or female as the next thing in golf yeah totally i know one of our friends at no laying up 
pointed out that Brooke Henderson is somehow 21 years old. Like she's barely <laughs> old enough to drink in America. One thing that was pointed out yesterday was a separate thought I had in watching the broadcast yesterday, but someone else pointed out on Twitter, those shirts you're wearing have you looking absolutely yoked. Like <laughs> well, I, okay, I am, I am forever living between two shirt sizes. My entire life, it's been either between a medium or large, and these shirts are a little big, and, uh, and so I'm like between the two. It's so funny. Michael Breed came in the first day, and I'm wearing the shirt. The, I'm doing some notes, and he goes, that shirt looks different on you than it looks on me. <laughs> and Quigley, Quigley said, dying over there. You know, you just your point on our broad on our broadcast, Fox broadcast, is what I find that that has to be the most unique situation in golf is how much we all get along. Yeah. And how much we hang out on the road. I mean, you talk yeah. about week after week after week being on the road together. To. We're playing golf. Yeah. We're going to dinner. It is rare that we're not all the entire broadcast crew is not all going to dinner together after, you know, two, three, four hours on air. You know, we're we're going out and, and playing after TV. I mean, we did that. Julie Inkster, Quigley, Loomis, and myself went and played Sand Valley, you know, after one of the girls' junior broadcasts at Century World. Mm -hmm. We played this morning before a broadcast day. I mean, it is it is a group of people that really get along getting a chance to work together, and there's not one person out of place. You know, there's not one person that, that doesn't fit in the mold. And, you know, if Michael Breed has his family here and he can't play golf, he's asking what happened the moment we walk in the booth. You yeah. know, he'll be saying that today. Let me t Tell me the story, what happened. Speaking of, our producer shot 69 today. What? He, he needs to be working. The guy made like <laughs> six birdies. With, Brett Quigley and Mark Loomis currently cannot lose. And it is becoming a real situation. Oh, wow. And we only have one more round for wow. the rest of the year to beat them. Oh, so Faxon and I have a lot of pressure if we end up playing that round. It's, it's going to be at Mid Pines or Southern Pines tomorrow or, or Dormy Club. We okay. haven't decided where we're going to play. Okay. But we're going to get up early again. Good options to have. Yeah, there, there's rumors that Curtis Strange might play with us as a fifth. He's been hitting range balls lately. So we'll, we'll try to get him in the mix. But we have to take him on again. We've got to beat him at one point. <laughs> it's just getting so frustrating. I love it. Uh, so we are here at Pinehurst. And Pinehurst is this bastion in the game. And, you know, a lot of people might call it the home of American golf. Um, that's all up to them. I think, I think it kind of is. This place, it, it has a certain status in the game, but I really think you don't understand it until you get here. American golf, for the most part, in great American golf is private. I mean, what yes. I love about most of the golf at Pinehurst is it's public. Yeah. And, I mean, it's – at times it's expensive, but mm -hmm. you can come play with buddies and you can get around. You can come play two and come play four and play the cradle with drinks in your hand and go play so many of the courses in this area that are that are public as well. There's 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 few private courses, if any, around here. Mm -hmm. You go to the pubs and the bars and there's golf cart parking out yes. in front. Yes. You know, it's it is it is golf. And you when you, you talk about research, when you start reading about Pinehurst and Donald Ross moving here at 1900 and staying here until he passes away. And, you know, this being of all the golf courses he's done, you know, this being the one that I think people know of the most as they should and everything they've done to bring it back to what it was originally like. It is a very unique golf course. It's one of my favorite golf courses in the world. It's probably my favorite golf course in the United States. Nice. And so, you know, when we get a chance to do a championship like this here, yeah. And you get to showcase it with the technology that we have in 2019. It, it's so, it's so, uh, it's fulfilling, you know. And it's, it's really an honor to, to kind of be a part of something like this. But my friends and I have never come here. And I, every time I come to Pinehurst, You're I'm like, like I, "What I are we should. doing here? Yeah. Like, what are we, we doing?" I, and I mean, it's they have a brewery here now that's new and it's awesome. And again, you walk, you can walk everywhere, and they have the shuttles just like you're at Bannon Dunes. I mean, they do it right. And so, you know, when we when you think about the 10th USGA championship and us coming back here in a few years for us open, I just feel like when you come here, it feels like a bigger event than when you go to other places, because as you said, it's, it's been a staple of American championship golf for so long. Yeah. This is my first time covering the US Am. Uh, ah, good which, start. It is so cool. This event and a lot of people who have covered it say it is one of their favorite events for many reasons as a journalist, the access to players is unparalleled. I am literally walking in <laughs> in the fairway with Celinda's family yesterday, and that that stuff happens. Like you, we're right behind the first tee, and 
it's kind of like a, like an AAU basketball tournament where you've got the veranda and you've got a bunch of players watching another bunch of players and all those players' families kind of crowd around the first tee, kind of like watching basketball players in a in a tournament in high school. And that I mean, the vibe is is very chill, and yet you know something very important is happening. Yeah, I mean, I, I was walking, I was grabbing lunch in the clubhouse yesterday, and Brad Dalkey, you know, that's that's the crazy Thursday where they play the round of 32 and then have lunch and go right back out for the round of 16. And Dalkey's walking by, and of course we had Dalkey in the championship match in 2016. And as he's walking by, I'm like, I'm like, hey, uh, I'm like, Brad, he's like, hey man, what's up? And I said, hey, when'd you start doing the the kind of pause at the top of your swing thing? I was like, I know you've been working, you know, with George Gankus, and like, yeah. when did that start? And he goes. Ah, like Saturday. <laughs> and again, you know, you, for us to get a nugget like that for the broadcast, it, it's, it's, I'm, we're going to have to read something like you writing it. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, Beth Ann writing it for golf week. I mean, we find nuggets, you know, in journalism because we don't have a time, we don't have time to run over here and, and, and ask the questions, <laughs> do all that stuff. So we're digging around on, on online, trying to read as much as we can, you know, round around. And here you literally walk up to the players and ask them questions and they answer. It's, it's crazy. It's cool. It is these two weeks. They're back to back. It's yeah. a long couple of weeks. I can't believe it's just Friday and we still have two more days to broadcast, <laughs> including today. But you know, it's our, it's our, it's my favorite event to do all year is, nice. is the women's amateur and the U.S. amateur, and we get them back to back. Uh, I mean, I'll be ready to go home on Monday. That's for yeah. sure. It's been yeah. a while. I had to do laundry on the road, which I always find very funny. But yeah. uh, it's, uh, it's fulfilling when you when you get a chance to, to kind of broadcast these two things and see people's lives change. Well, a couple more questions before we let you go. Uh, you've done boatloads of interviews. You've done a lot of a lot of golf interviews, and I mean, you were you were at the match this year interviewing Tiger and Phil on the course. So what what makes you nervous in your job currently? Is there anything like you've had a couple years with Fox now doing a lot of stuff? Is there anything that makes you nervous? You know, I mean, I was nervous at the match. I was on the first tee, and it was the intro to the to the event. Really, I mean, Samuel L. Jackson was there, and That's he did this big spot. He did this, you know, thing, and then I'm. I'm talking to both of them. That was, you know, I was, I thought about that overnight. Um, I, <laughs> I hope you know, so. Oh, every, I mean, every, every Wednesday night into Thursday when you're getting set to do the U S open, you know, sure. I, I don't think I sleep as good as I, I wish I could last year. Chinnacock, we got done with the broadcast. Maybe the most nervous I've been for an interview was, you know, we got done with the broadcast. Brad and I's window was done. So we were going to leave and go grab lunch. And as we're getting up, I mean, Brad Faxon knows every person on the planet. He has like 9,000 contacts in his iPhone. <laughs> As we're getting up to go, he goes, hey, uh, hold on one second. We might have an interview coming in. Oh, boy. And I was like, oh, cool. Who is it? He goes, Wayne. And I'm like, Wayne? Like, like, like Wayne? What, like, what Wayne do I yeah, know? Like, Wayne Brady? Like, who's coming <laughs> through? And in walks Wayne Gretzky into our booth. And I'm like, good luck. And I'm like, oh, I mean, you know, I mean. How many times are you like face to face with the best person that's ever done something? You know, like yeah. there he's the best at this thing that we watch and it's entertaining. No prep. No, no none. Zero <laughs> prep. It was literally like, here's Wayne Gretzky. He's getting makeup on. I I'm saying hi to some of the people that are with him. Uh, I I like walk over. I, it's funny. I walked over to the desk to sit down, and the the guy that was doing stats for me last year. Hand, again, this is the kind of stuff where you're just so grateful for people that do their jobs and are good at it. Hands me a card, and it was Wayne Gretzky stats. You know, it was all of, <laughs> he'd basically been over there scribbling down stats yeah. of the stuff he'd done in his career, Number just so one, I could have it all in front time, of me. Everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> he just wrote one next to all the things you can do in <laughs> hockey. Uh, it, it was like you know all, everything but fighting. It was number one next to, and uh, and so we sit down, and it was. Joe and Joe and Zinger were doing it, and they threw it to us five minutes later, and you're on TV with Wayne Gretzky, and you're like get done with that and you're like that was pretty wild you know that was pretty wild so I was nervous for that stuff I think I think when you're when you're thrown into stuff like that yeah. is when you're the most nervous I mean you know you do a lot of interviews you prep for a lot when you talk to players you kind of know where you're going with what you're going to ask them I feel like when you when you have the moments where all of a sudden you're face to face with somebody and you haven't really been ready for it that's to me is is when it's the most nerve-wracking but it but was fun. I'm, in those moments, you do end up finding some of your best stuff. I agree with you. So, uh, lastly, before you go, you spent a summer caddying at St. Andrews. And so, I would love for the final question to be, what was your favorite story from a summer caddying at the old course? Um, a lot of caddy stories in the sense of the caddies being just incredibly entertaining. Yeah. Uh, I had a... 
I had a caddy. I, I was caddying one day. Well, first things first. I fly over. We don't have jobs. It's my friend Will and I. We have no job. We have none. We graduate we college. Have jobs. We fly. He flies over the day before I do. He's got this thing set up. We've got an apartment through some friend of his. We don't know what we're gonna do. We're like, I guess we can just like you know work at a bar if we have to. If, if we just wanted to go over there for the summer, and I show up and Will had been there for the day before, and I go walk. You know, this was pre iPhone GPS stuff. You kind of had to go where you went. I remember I walked to this house. I ring the bell. They buzz me up. I go upstairs. I'm in St. Andrews. Will's sitting there having a beer with some guys. I introduce myself. And I'm like, so what's the deal? And he's like, I can't at Kings Barnes today. And I was like, today? And he goes, yeah. He'd never seen Kings Barnes. What? Never seen it. <laughs> he just got this, this guy told the caddy master that he knew what he was doing. And he goes out there. So the next day, we go down to meet the old course caddy master. He was a really nice guy. And... He's talking to us. Have you ever caddied? And of course, we both said yes, which was, I mean, it's I'm partially say it's true. A, it's, I mean, I've I've carried a bag to and from you know the parking lot for myself, and the guys kind of starts grilling us. Yeah, this is you know this is the most famous golf course in the world, and it's the oldest golf course in the world, and it's a once in a lifetime opportunity for so many people that come through here, and we're kind of sitting there like, oh, this is this is pretty serious. And he goes, and you guys are on the tee in ten minutes. <laughs> And we're like, what? So he gave us these comment cards, and it was basically like a trial period, but we were doing full caddies, and we were getting full fare for it. Uh, we had our bibs. Will had never seen the old course. Have you played the old course? Yeah. Okay, I mean, there are holes where you don't even you know where to go. You need a caddy. You don't even know. What, you couldn't even tell. Like, you, I could turn you 360. You wouldn't know which way yeah, to drive it. It's so true. And so well, luckily we're in this, and I'd played it, luckily, when I was studying abroad in London, I played it when I was a junior. We uh, – we're walking down like three, and he's like, where do you go here? And I'm like, it's up there. And he's yeah. like, which flag? I'm yeah. like, the one on the, the right. On the right. <laughs> you know, he's got no clue. So uh, I was caddying in a group one time, and 7 and 11 are the crazy crisscross holes where you, you yep. tee off left, and you go to 7 right, and then 11's a par 3, and, and you go left. So it is – I mean, during the Open Championship, it's a cluster. Yeah. Imagine when you've got 30 handicaps yes. out there. It yeah. is a disaster. <laughs> and I have a – my player wasn't very good. And I'm like, you know, hit it. You know, it's you have one of those days. It's one of those days where you're telling him where to hit it. You know, he's not going to hit it there. You're just hoping he doesn't hit it in a bunker because then you got to rake the thing. And so he pulls this ball. These guys are putting on 11. He pulls this little low bullet and it smokes this guy in the oh, back. No. I mean, we're yelling for, you know, we're yelling. It hits him. As, time. He's over the putt. It hits him in the back and he kind of, he kind of <laughs> jolts, doesn't look back and hits the putt and makes it. It's like a five footer. And I was like, and so we go up there, apologize. He's like, I'm good. And I was like, I mean, he got smoked. It'd be like getting hit with a stinger. He gets hit in the middle of the back. Um, the, on, the only other, I mean, the other kind of real funny moment was they'd give you, I would get a caddy number. So they'd, you'd, be, you'd be 48. And so they would put the numbers up in the window as it went on. So the first 30 caddies, and I think it's changed at this point. I think it's a completely different system. But the first 30 caddies are the senior caddies. And they were the caddies that had caddied the most the year before. And they get priority every day. They don't oh, have to wow. show up. They are the first 30 to go. That's kind of and awesome. And so if, if you're seven, you know, you get there and you're ready to rock when the, you know, basically when the sun's coming up. So we would get down there at, you know, 9, 9.30 and we'd be 65. Uh, put our name in. And then when, when, your num when your number was called, you went to the tee. You didn't know your golfer. You just picked one of the four on, on the tee. What I mean, I had moment where I walked up the tee and Peter Thompson was playing and I missed his bag. I was in a group. I was in a group with them, but you know, I mean, this other guy got you know five time Open Champions bag. I'm like, this is man, this would have been nice. But one time I walked up and it was this. The last bag was this was this lady, American lady, and really nice. And do you play golf? She was. I play. I play recreationally. You know, I, of course, I'm like that's fine. But you know, women when they were on the road playing typically didn't care what they shot for the most part were really nice and had a great time. Yeah. You know, you get the men that are mean and cranky and they blame you for bad reads. And typically, not every time, but a lot of the time, you know, if you got if you got a female's bag, it was the best day because they were cool and they were nice and they were enjoyable and you had a good walk. And so I grabbed I was like, awesome, this would be a good day, you know. And she hits her tee shot and she hits a good one, kind of hits it probably, you know, 180 yards in the air. And I'm like, awesome, she can play, you know. And I go to pick up her bag and I'm like, I could barely lift this thing. Oh, no. And it doesn't have a strap. No. So I'm like, I pick it up. Like, I mean, I'm like one arm it. And I'm like, oh. And so I kind of like, 
I'm like, you don't have a strap? She's like, oh, no, I didn't bring my strap. I'm like, oh, good decision to come to <laughs> Scotland with. that something you bring with you? Yeah, did you take it off? What's <laughs> yeah. the deal? Where do you put it? Do you hide it? And so I kind of start like one arm kind of dragging it down the first fairway. And I mean, all I'm thinking is like, this is going to be the hardest day I've ever had. And I look at her and I'm like, oh my God, what do you, what do you have in your bag? And she said, oh, I, um, I, I just got here and to save money on travel, I just put all my clothes in my golf bag and I was going to take, and I didn't have time to take them out today. And she looks at me, and she goes, is that going to be a problem? And I was like, I was like, I mean, you know, I mean, this thing weighs like a hundred pounds and down the fairway runs the caddy master with a pool cart, which is not allowed at St. Andrews. And he see me, he sees me and he tries to pick it up and he goes, Oh yeah. yeah. He goes, take this. So it ended up being the easiest yeah. loop ever. Cause yes. I got to push cart it the whole time. But, uh, yeah, that was that was oh uh, that was gosh. an interesting decision. I told her when we got done. I go, listen, you got to take all this stuff out of here, and you might need to go find a strap because I go, if you get, you know, you go somewhere else and somebody's a little meaner than I am, they're not going to be very happy with you. But that, that was, uh, yeah, it was it was awesome, and we caddy like four <laughs> or five days a week. We play golf twice a week. We met these two American caddies that caddied at a at a well known golf course. They had a rental car. We would all pile in this small rental car with four guys in four bags and just go play wherever. You know, yeah, so we go play these the place to do it. little known golf courses, and it was. Uh, it was quite the summer. It, it's uh, you think back on it, you know, go back every time, and you go walk back to by the house you lived in, and it's it was cool. It was it was a cool thing. It's one of those experiences in your life you're glad you did, so yeah. you can kind of always kind of have yeah. it in your memory, you know, bank totally. whenever you see it. Well, I asked you for one memory, and you gave me like three or four. Yeah, I'm sorry, that was so, probably too many. That was awesome. Thank you, Shane. Of you got to go to work now. I know. I got to. I got to go. I got to go shower again because it's hot. I got to. I got to get myself ready, and uh, and yeah, we uh, we go at we go at four and three hours. See if it goes long. Hopefully, no weather, and then on into the the, the semis and the finals. It's uh, it's going to be a fun week, man. It's the weekend is the weekend is the best. Well, thanks, Shane, and we'll see you around the bend. All right, major thanks to Shane Bacon. He has a podcast of his own. It's called The Clubhouse. You can check that out after listening, of course, to our podcast. That's it for this week for Dylan DeChair. I'm your host, Sean Zock.